I'm also playing bass. Class. <laughs> I'm playing Sexy Boy by Air. It was written about me, you know. What Was Sexy Boy written about you, Bill? Yeah. <laughs> and boy, did they choose an app title. What's happening in my life? Um, Not a whole shebang, really. I've been kind of churning videos out really quickly of late, uh, which is really nice and super stressful as well because I was sick last week and I had to do a video as well. I'm sorry. That's okay. You had nothing to do with my illness. It was the local children and their child diseases. So that's okay. Hey, hey man, look, I know what I did, okay? <laughs> let, let me accept this guilt. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I was sick and had to do the video. Uh, so that was kind of a tough run-in. But what made it a lot better was it was Super Bowl weekend. Okay. Um, so it was, I had a really cool time watching the Super Bowl with, uh, with my brother. Uh, whilst editing and shooting the next video. So that was really, really, really fun. And the game turned out to be brilliant, like a really good game. It was uh, Patriots and the Seattle, was it? Yeah, Patriots and the Seahawks, yeah. I, I saw that there was like um, a bad decision made at the very last minute or something, but I didn't actually see in favour of who or what. Oh, did you know about this bad decision? Um, I'm aware that one took place. I, I don't rec- know the specifics. You don't know how monumentally bad it is. No. Oh, God. Right. I have to elaborate. Right. So as far as I remember, because it was late at night, like the the Super Bowl is aired here at about, I think, 11 um, Mm -hmm. Greenwich Mean Time. So it doesn't finish till about three or four. So it was a very late run for me. But I think the final score was 28-24 to the Patriots. Okay. And in like the last, like the dying seconds of the game, the Seattle Seahawks were like one like yard away from the uh, end zone, right? To win the game. And they have okay. one of the best, I think they're called running backs. Now, again, I'm from Ireland here, guys. So my NFL knowledge is not so good. And uh, his nickname is Beast Mode because when he runs, like when he has the ball, he just turns into this like inhuman running machine. It's just ridiculous. <laughs> Great. And uh, and I think a co- the commentator for uh, the Channel 4 uh, coverage of the Super Bowl said that he has never ran and not gained yards in his career or something. Um, so wow. he's just—he's just yeah, he's just incredible. Um, and so they were one yard away from the end zone. They just need all they needed to do was give the ball to Marshawn Lynch and let him just like stumble across the line, right? That's all they needed to do. And then what they ended up doing was they ended up throwing the ball to uh, to like this rookie guy, and it got intercepted, and then effectively lost the game for them. And what makes this such a bad decision is that when when you run the ball, you were you know you have you have ball in hand. It's kind of like you're guaranteed that you have possession. When you throw the ball, three things can happen. Like either it's caught and that's good for you. It's yeah. fum- it's it's not caught. That's bad for you. Or it's intercepted and that's also bad for you. So like two out of three times, the result is not in your favor. It just, it blew my mind. Like, I know hardly anything about NFL. Like, I watch it because it's fun and the theatrics and all that. But even I understood that this was a terrible, terrible call. Like, the worst call I have ever seen in any sporting event I have ever watched. It was ridiculous. I haven't watched NFL in a long time. I think I got a little bit into it around, I guess it was the Super Bowl at the start of 2008 or so. Which, again, I think the Patriots were in. Yeah, probably. They seem to be in everything. Yeah. Well, I mean, they're 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 widely accused of lots and lots of cheating. I remember this year there was a thing about like inf- interfering with the balls, wasn't there? Oh yeah, deflating the balls or something. Yeah. Whereas that year, or maybe it was the year before that, there had been a controversy where they'd been filming their opponents' trenches, like the the dugouts and translating what their various calls meant so they could predict their opponent's plays, which is wildly illegal. I think they lost that year because, as far as I remember, uh, the Boston Celtics won, and who's the baseball team in Boston? I think they won as well that year, and they, did, they didn't get the third. They didn't get the football, which was uh, uh, a, a big shame for Boston people, but a lot of other people were glad that the Boston Bostonians wouldn't be able to gloat about it. <laughs> Yeah, um, I haven't. To be honest, I haven't watched that much NFL really. I mean, it's only in the past like oh two, three years that I've started getting get into it somewhat, and that really it's only limited to kind of the Super Bowl, just because of like it's such an event. Yeah. Oh, and also, oh my God, sorry. Just speaking of the Super Bowl, Missy Elliott at halftime, amazing. I was so happy. 
great. Yeah, a massive Missy Elliott fan. in years. Yeah, no, she. I think she's due to bring out something shortly, like in the next year or two or something like that. Oh, good. But boy, man, she does not age. It's ridiculous. She looks so young. It was incredible. Huh. Cool. But yeah, so it was fun times all around. Lots of football, uh, lots of editing, lots of chats with the family. It was good. Good times. My uh, my late night sporting events recently have been more solitary and, and more violent. You watching the snooker? Oh yeah, man, the snooker. <laughs> when they start hitting each other with those cues. Yeah. No, yep. the, the UFC recently. Yeah, so the, there's been a big controversy in the UFC recently. Okay. Have you heard about this? I Again, man, I don't know anything about the UFC, so go for it. So there's this uh, Brazilian fighter called um, Anderson Silva. Okay. Who is widely considered to be you know, one of the greatest of all time. There's maybe three or four fighters who are often considered to be you know, the, the greatest fighter in the sport ever. And he's one of them. And for ages, I don't know how long, I mean, something like eight years or something, he held the middleweight championship in the UFC. And he lost it about a year and a half ago to a guy called, an American guy called Chris Weidman, who's also a great fighter. So that was a big shock, you know, the, the king had been dethroned. And they had a rematch about five months later, so 13 months ago. In the course of this rematch, so Weidman defending his title and Anderson Silva trying to win it back, Anderson Silva broke his leg. Okay. And like really broke his leg. I think it came out through the skin broke his leg it oh, was it was horrific that's beautiful it was it was it was horrible so that was a, a you know a terrible terrible thing the the former champion you know one of the greatest of all time had his leg broken um you know live on television and obviously didn't win the fight so he's been out for 13 months and he was back walking like with crutches and everything but he had surgery and was back walking within two weeks i think like really really fast after such a horrible compound fracture and just over a week ago he made you know from recording on the 31st of january he made his comeback fight all right against a guy called nick diaz who's another kind of veteran fighter and it was it was you know pretty entertaining fight went the full five rounds and it was went on decision Uh, anderson silva won as everyone was kind of expecting him to but it came out afterwards that he had failed a pre-fight drug test for steroids oh right okay so i am i am i'm kind of devastated about it you know the greatest of all time might be a dirty cheater so is this a very much like a lance lance armstrong sort of thing um no because everyone knew about lance armstrong always i mean he was you know and, and, and it was cycling is widely considered to be quite a dirty sport i think Whereas a lot of people think that MMA is, but not it's not quite as widely believed, not quite to the same extent. Okay, so this is a proper shock. Yeah, yeah. Of 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 the people that I I, I would have expected to be doping, I didn't think Anderson Silva was one of them. What? But the funny thing is, his opponent in the most recent fight also failed a drug test. Well, that just means neutral ground. Then it's fine. Well, the other guy failed for weed. All right. <laughs> so Nick Diaz, and he's he's well known. This is the other fighter. He's well known as a smoker. All right. Uh, loves loves weed. He's been banned twice already for smoking weed and failing drug tests. But that means that this guy got into the ring or got into the octagon high when the greatest fighter of all time was on steroids, <laughs> and he still went the full five rounds. So. I mean, it looks like it's going to be declared a no contest, so it won't be a win for either of them, or it won't be a loss for either of them. It'll just be kind of rendered null and void. But with that kind of performance, you kind of think that Nick Diaz should get it. <laughs> yeah, that's that's crazy, huh? Would it, would Diaz's like insanely quick recovery time not have been like a bit of a like a, a warning signal? Silva's recovery time from the leg injury. Sorry, yes, Silva. Would his would that not have been a uh, kind of a warning sign? I don't know. Maybe that's why he was using them, although from the discussions I've read, the kind of steroids he was tested for weren't particularly useful for um, recovering from injuries, so I don't know. Oh, so he's just straight up out and out cheating. Hmm. Not great. Could be. Not great. Very disappointing. I'll tell you what would have been really cool, if both of them were, uh, what you call it, found to be like weed positive, that would have been a hilarious match to like, <laughs> to watch. 
like they both come into the ring with like a big pack of nachos and they all like <laughs> camp out at either corner it'd be great <laughs> yes i just have to finish off this doritos you know i'm, I'm still trying to bulk up after the weight cut <laughs> that'd be awesome okay shall we move on to to artifexian business after that lengthy sports diversion yeah let's do uh do you want to start with some follow-up yeah sure Okay, have you got anything to follow up from the previous show, Bill? I do not. Um, I'm pretty happy with, with how it went. Um, Good. And if I said anything utterly ridiculous, well, I might catch it between now and recording episode three. Or I'm sure our listeners will be quick to tell me anyway, so... <laughs> please do, listeners, please do. <laughs> please do, please do. We don't learn unless people tell us our mistakes. Yeah, and even then, we, le- we learn begrudgingly. <laughs> Uh, no, I kid, I kid. On a personal opinion, what did you think of the podcast? Out of ten. Um, Let's speak candidly here. I'm not a, a huge podcast listener, so I don't have a, a good frame of reference of this. There's a few that I follow, but it wouldn't be my area of expertise. Um, in terms of content, I thought the content was pretty solid. Pretty solid, I don't know, seven or an eight. I reckon... I reckon maybe a six. I reckon a six. Okay. And maybe that's just because uh, I'm like subbed up to like some serious podcasts like Radio Lab and all that. Um, yeah. And I suppose everything I do will always pale into insignificance uh, when you look at it in terms of Radio Lab. But uh, no, I think it was a it was a good start. I think it was a good, an okay start. Right. We can we can like motor on from here, you know. I thought our sound design was really good, though. I think I think we're. Really getting, you know, a, a good quality sound that we're making out, putting out a good product that people will enjoy the sensation of listening to. Yeah, and like the podcast audience, they're very discerning people, you know, they really do care about their audio. So I think that that really worries me about having really good design, sound design. So it's good that you say that, really good. Uh, how about you, man? Do you have anything you want to bring up from the previous episode? Yeah, I do have a few bits and bobs, it's okay with you, so will you uh, hear me out on this? Of course. So yeah, I suppose one thing I do want to say, Bill, is I want to just clarify our intentions for the podcast. Okay. So uh, like we said in the first episode, the uh, podcast is going to be based around the videos, but I do want to express that it's kind of loosely based around the videos. So yeah, so it's not going to be like hour-long discussions about each video. It's going to be like we're going to take a couple of videos at a time, talk about them, but also we're going to talk a lot about like our lives and just what's going on with us in general. So it's kind of like going to be a 50-50 mix between both, you know? Yeah. Cool. Just just to be clear. Then another point is that at one stage in the housekeeping, I said something to the effect of that the YouTube comments are no good. Okay. And I want to clarify, because I don't want to annoy anyone, I want to clarify that what I meant was that the comments themselves are absolutely fine. The The way the comment section is structured is a lot better on Reddit than it is on YouTube. So my intention was just about the structure of the comments, not the actual content. Right, okay. Yeah, so it was how the comments are laid out. Yeah, exactly. Because like the, the Reddit system of having, you know, you have the original post and then each like post has like a number of children. Yeah. Yeah, is is a lot better than YouTube because YouTube's one, the way it's laid out almost kills conversation and that's why so many people go to Reddit because it's a lot better. It's a it's an original post and then a linear conversation afterwards. There's no like different trees of conversation. It's just they're all on the same level of child comment, right? Exactly, exactly. And that just kind of kills off conversation because like sometimes if I see a big common thing, I'll want to reply to everyone. But then I know if I do... I'll just have all of my replies stacked at the bottom of the queue. Yeah. And it just like it's just very hard to see what's going on. So more often than not, I just I just don't get involved then. Whereas Reddit is perfect. Like you can get involved and everything stays in perfect format, which is why we want to direct traffic over to Reddit to discuss this podcast and the videos as well. Yeah. Okay, so, uh, and then two more small points, uh, just because I really wanted to uh, clarify this because you got me interested from the last podcast, is uh, we talked about the fictional rogue state in uh, the West Wing. Yes. So I did a bit of late night Googling, and it turns out that place is called, I think, Kumar. Kumar, with a Q. With a Q, exactly. Yes. All I remember is that it, it was designed to mimic Qatar. Okay. Yeah, this is according to Wikipedia anyway. Interesting. Yeah, and it's also, in case anyone wants to know, they've placed Kumar kind of in, embedded within Iran. Okay, so Kumar, and what was the other? 
so we talked about uh, Bangsian fantasy, yeah? Yeah, somebody bangs. Somebody bangs. So I located that somebody through like an intense Wikipedia run. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and that Master somebody, researcher, yeah. Edgar Grunwald. Uh, that somebody was John Kendrick Bangs. If anyone wants his dates, uh, he is 1862 to uh, 1922. So, Bill, uh, I thought today we might discuss uh, the first four Artifexian videos, namely the videos dealing with stars and how to build stars. Sounds good to me. Cool. So, have you been uh, watching the videos by any chance? I did. I reviewed the, the first four recently, you know, your little block just about stars. I reviewed that there um, over the last week. Cool. And like, wh- what did you think? What are your, uh, what are your comments, your thoughts? Um, well, I mean, you've been putting out high quality content since day one. I just want to say that first of all. Aw, <laughs> thanks, man. No, man, you have. It's, it's good stuff. It's, it's interesting how it's changed a little bit over time, though. I mean, your, your image quality has improved. Yeah, like it, it looks cleaner and neater now than it did on that that first episode back, you know, just over a year ago. Um, mm. And your your sound design has improved as well, and you speak a lot more slowly and a lot more clearly now. Yeah, this is true. This is very true. And it's not so you you were speaking quite high in the first episode. Yeah, do you want to do you want to hear a story around that actually? Of course. So, uh, so uh, the reason why I got into YouTube, well, one, I wanted to to focus my world building, uh, but also uh, Brady Haran of Numberphile, the YouTube channel Numberphile, did a video where he interviewed Henry Reich from uh, Minophysics. Okay. And basically, Henry talked about how he uh, makes uh, his videos. So he went through like the tech aspect and how he scripts and all this, and it was really interesting. And for the first time ever, I was like oh, I could do something like that. That's totally, like, doable, you know? But the point with the, the speaking fast and the high pitch thing was that he were, he did a little demonstration of him talking, and I noticed that he, like, changed his voice to sound a lot more upbeat. So okay. I was, like, being a gullible little kind of, like, YouTuber starting off, I was like, oh, I should do that too. Uh, and what, but what actually was the case was that that was just his, like, a sort of um, on-screen voice that you develop mm-hmm. over a number of months. Right. So it was just something that that happened and it was natural to him. Whereas at the start, I was trying to put on that uber enthusiastic high pitch sort of thing. And then I quickly realized that I should just be myself. And then you slowly develop a sort of uh, a narration voice, you know? Huh. I never knew that. That's interesting. Yeah. And the the, the fast talking was from uh, trying to emulate Vihart. <laughs> Which also I gave up on because, you know, Vihart is Vihart and, you know, she does what she does. She's she's a thing unto herself. She is a thing unto herself. I'm sad that she's gone from YouTube, you know? Yeah, she does all her stuff over at Khan Academy now, is it? Yeah, and she does a lot of uh, virtual reality work uh, as well. Oh. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I To be honest, like, I, I follow her on Twitter and she puts up these posts every so often. I don't really know what's going on with her. She puts up a lot of, like geometric shapes and speaks about like kind of like things like the oculus and things like that huh i may check that out yeah but either way it, it, it's kind of sad she's gone but it's crazy like every so often i go over to her channel and like there's still eight hundred thousand people subscribed to her and i'm one of them and i'm like what is this like it's ridiculous no content and eight hundred thousand people linger on you know well like do people ever really unsubscribe from videos because if you know, if they're not actually putting anything up, then they're not appearing on your feed. So there's no reason to unsubscribe. Uh, yeah, this is true. But this this brings up an interesting point, actually, if if you allow me to go on this for a second. It's totally not sure. what we're going to speak about, but it's really, really cool. Um, there's two ways in which you can use YouTube. You can use it through the default what to watch page, which I think is what everyone does. And then okay. there's the you can use it through the my subscriptions page. And see, what happens is the what to watch page is uh, bots run on it. And so they kind of like optimize for what you've been viewing the most. Yeah. Right. So then that means channels that are inactive like Vihearts would drop off and you wouldn't see them. But I don't like that because you don't get what content is coming up as it comes up. So I only watch through the my subscriptions page. And in that case, then you do the, 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 the channel kind of does stay active then, you know. It doesn't just disappear. Yeah, but I mean, why would you ever bother unsubscribing? I'm sure, like, I mean, I just don't see the benefit to it. Yeah, well, this is true, but there's also the case of just, like, management. I mean, like, after a while, you're there with, like, 100 subscriptions, and you're kind of like, do I really need to be subscribed to all these things, you know? 
I guess. And then also as well, like, because uh, if you do watch through the My Subscriptions page, and I, I want to encourage people to do that because in terms of like me being a content creator, we want to avoid bots. We want to avoid people going through bots. We, wanna, we want people to watch stuff as it kind of gets posted. Mm-hmm. So please do watch through the My Subscription page. And if you do watch through that page, you also get notifications on when that the, the channel likes something as well. So very often with Viheart, you will still have uh, likes and things like that flashing up, you know? So, yeah. So then and I suppose in that sense, it never becomes truly dormant, you know? Yeah. But, you know, in a way that could be a reason to stay on if you you know that they're they have good taste even if they're not putting up their own content it's a gateway to find out what they've been watching right right exactly and this is one of the reasons why i am still subscribed to viheart because i'm really mean with my subscriptions my my subscriptions mean a lot i think um i don't just go willy-nilly like subscribing to everything and keeping it there but with viheart the stuff that she likes is very very good stuff and it's very like a progressive like feminist sort of stuff as well and very much mm-hmm. like she likes a lot of like social commentary so it's really really good really good i'd advise people to go look at her liked videos playlist cool cool anyway sorry that was a major digression um so what do we yeah we were talking about uh <laughs> the speed of delivery and the production quality i agree with you the voice is too fast and the production quality certainly has uh gone up a notch what do you think about the content um, as I said, you've been you've been putting out good content since since the first day. I mean, there's a couple of little things here and there, but you know, th- everyone's going to have that. And we talked about that a little uh, in in the or the, the previous podcast, and uh, this is something that the entirety of Hello Internet episode one is about. This as well about you know being wrong and making mistakes, and how it's better just to just put things out there. Yeah, am I yeah. remembering that correctly? That's Hello Internet, isn't it? The first episode. Yeah, that's true. This is, uh, for yeah. those who are unfamiliar with this, Hello Internet is CGB Grey and Brady Haran's podcast. I'll link to this. It's a great podcast. You really should it's subscribe good podcast, to it. podcast, yeah. Okay, so I, I saw one of the, the first things that popped out at me when I was reviewing the videos is, um, the, in, the, in the first episode, you have something, the effect of how to build a sun, right? Yeah. The sun is like the personal name of the star in our system. Right, yeah, yeah. So that would be like you wanted to make a, a video about how to build a human being and you called it Build an Edgar or Build a Dave or something. Yeah, you know, this, be... this is true. <laughs> this is very true, yeah. You, or, you know, a, you know, a very specific, you know, you're, it's even more specific than that because there could be many Edgars, but there's only one son. Yeah, this no, that was a definite flaw on my part. It should really be Build a Star. Yeah, well, I mean, it's it's it is a flaw and it isn't because it's still used colloquially to mean you know locally relevant star, and in any kind of fantasy setting or in a lot of science fiction settings that is on a specific planet, they will just call the nearby star the sun. It, it makes sense, but in a in a kind of a you know a, in a pedantic sense, it it is not quite accurate. Yeah, well, I, it could have been worse. I could have said like build your own sol. Yeah, yeah, that, that would have been, been truly bad. <laughs> so yeah, there's a couple of little things about ambiguity that you know are going to be picked up as we as we go on, I guess. And as as you make more videos, you'll, you'll be picking up on these things yourself through your own process of education and through the, this kind of commentary from people. You do say something about a white dwarf, is it being ten Kelvin, and then say you know to compare that's you know a, a block of ice is two hundred and seventy Kelvin. Uh, yeah, can I clarify there? Just uh, it's not a white dwarf that would be ten Kelvin. Uh, I reckon that would be the giant molecular cloud. Sorry, yeah, the the molecular cloud is at about ten Kelvin, and that a block of ice is two hundred and seventy Kelvin. Um, no, I have two things to say here. Go for it. Um, first of all, for you know viewers of your video who aren't familiar with Kelvin, that doesn't really give them much of a comparison. You know, without stating that zero Kelvin is absolute zero, and you can go no colder. It do, it's not actually all that informative. So, first of all, uh, yeah. So, Kelvin uh, goes from absolute zero all the way up. And absolute mm-hmm. zero is, I think, if I remember correctly, 273.15 degrees below zero. That's Celsius. Yeah, minus 273 point something Celsius. I think yeah. that's right. And then, so that's zero Kelvin. And so then, yeah, 10 Kelvin is, you know, effectively 
absolute zero. Very, very, very cold. you can go no colder. Yeah, you can go no colder. Um, the I also want to say, though, I have a real bad habit in the earlier videos, and it sometimes creeps into even the later ones, of saying degrees Kelvin. Right. Which is terrible. Okay, I just want to point out that that is oh, wrong. Is yeah, yeah. You can't say degrees Kelvin. It's Kelvin. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, yeah. So, very like, oh, I, like I said, like, was it once a star reaches, you know, several million degrees Kelvin? And it's like, no, Edgar, no, it's not that. Huh? I never knew that. Um, and the other thing is, you say that a block of ice is two hundred and seventy Kelvin, right? Yes. But it mightn't be. A block of ice could be, you know, it could be at like two hundred Kelvin if it was in a really cold place. It would still be a block of ice. Yeah, the the analogy I made there, I remember this. It's it, it it's not the best, really. Yeah, I, again, I starting off, you know. It's, yeah, yeah, you know, you really learn from these things. Like, I'd never make something like that. Now, I try and be really precise about things. You know. Yeah. Um. And there's another sort of ambiguity that actually pops up in two of the videos from the initial block, where um, you describe a star, you describe like a certain amount of neutron star material or something as being you know, 40 billion tons. And then up on the screen, there's a picture of the Eiffel Tower multiplied by 40,000. Yeah. Without any real explanation or context. Really? Would, would you not Would you not just assume that that's the weight of the Eiffel Tower multiplied by 40,000? Equals the number I stated in the, ra- in the narration, No. I realised that, but it was just it just kind of struck me as all. I thought that I'd missed something, and I went back to check the video again. I thought that I'd like missed you saying something, so maybe maybe that's on my back then. <laughs> oh, I should look at that. Yeah, because again, see, a part of this as well doing this podcast is like it's a really good way for me to hear a constructive criticism coming from you. Um, mm-hmm. so I will definitely look into that because again, I don't want to cause confusion in what I do. You know. Yeah. No, I think I think it is kind of clear enough, but. I don't know, it just, it just did strike me as, as a little odd when I rewatched it. Also, that if people watch this video, that first video with the first occurrence of the Eiffel Tower, boy, does the Eiffel Tower stay on screen for an awful long time. <laughs> and I think it appears before you say the figures as well, actually. Uh, I think that was, might be part of my con- of my confusion. It was so, it's so bad. Like, if there's one frame in Artifexian, I like, that causes me to cringe, like, like, serious cringe, it's that frame. It's so bad. <laughs> I don't, you know, I don't think it's that bad, but you know, we can be our own worst critics in these regards, can't we? Yeah, like when, it, like anyone who makes anything, you always see all the flaws, you know. Yeah, which is which makes it like because I looked over all the videos in preparation for this podcast, and it makes it such an ordeal to listen back and like to notice all the slips and all the like bits where you could have said something more intelligent. And you're like, oh god, yeah. no. Yeah, I know that from like listening back to when I've gotten a recording that I didn't like of, of a piece or looking back at a score I wrote years ago with like really unclear and silly instructions on it. It's it's uh, embarrassing to think that that's been put out in the public domain with my name on it. <laughs> I know, right? Um, Yeah, but it, you know, can you ever really make something perfect? And that's what C- CGP Grey says, you know, about how, how it's really good that you can't edit videos that have been uploaded because then he would never actually get anything done. Sometimes you just have to put stuff out there. Yeah, you just have to you just have to kind of um make a judgment call. Yeah. You know? And kind of be like, you know, well well for what it is, this thing it's good to go, you know? And then if yeah. it's really 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 bad or something really bad is in it, I can always correct or own up to my mistake and things like that, you know? Okay, so, so another thing in the first video. To be fair, most of the points I'm going to be making here are coming from the first video. There's there's a marked increase in the quality even between the first two. Oh, cool. Good. Um, you say sometime around uh, 2.40 of the first video that when a star becomes a red dwarf, it swells up to 256 times its size. Yeah. Do you mean it's volume? 256 times the volume? Or 256 times the radius? Yeah, you are not the only one to pick up on this. You're, I've had okay. several comments where people have been like, you have to clarify what you mean in terms of size. Because, mm-hmm. I mean, size could be mass, like you said, like volume, mass, radius, all these things could be put under the term size. Um, yeah. In those earlier videos, when I say size, I mean radius. And in the later videos, I've begun to specify a bit more, like I will say, like volume or radius and mm-hmm. things like that. But in the early ones, size equals radius, and that is my bad. Sorry, listeners. <laughs> so 
So 256 times the radius would actually be like, what, 65536, 65,5536 times the volume, something like that? Hold on, I'm, I'm just checking it now. To the power of 3 would be, no, 1 million, no, 16 million, 777,216 times the volume. Yeah, like it's quite large. That's that's big. Yeah, it's very, that very is, big. That is a lot bigger. <laughs> um, and also, yeah, just to clarify as well, just so people know what we're going on with, this is, we're talking about a red giant, by the way, and this is uh, where a, a main sequence star like our sun enters the last stages of its life uh, and it swells up to 256 times its radius, which is going to happen to our sun, guys, in a, like a billion years or so, and it's going to like swallow Earth and be fun times for everyone. I had a child's book about astronomy and stuff when I was, well, when when I was a child. I'm sure it's still in the house somewhere. Okay. They had, you know, these visions or this is like a couple of pages devoted to, you know, the very far future. You know, so eventually humanity would, you know, all go into space and everything. And then in however many billion years, the sun would become a red dwarf or a a red giant and you'll know, swallow up some of the planets and then it would shrink again and the earth would be completely lifeless and cold and barren and the sun would just be a, a speck in the sky and it terrified me <laughs> i remember reading that and getting like really upset at the thought that it well, was the thought of my own mortality really it was just oh man i was so scared and i, I remember going to my parents really upset about like yeah, this is going to happen like you know it's it's not even like We'll, we'll, we'll die and we'll be buried and everything will be okay because eventually the earth will be destroyed. This isn't, this isn't okay at all. <laughs> <laughs> what did your parents do to uh, comfort, comfort little Bill? Um, I, I can't remember. I think they were just like, oh yeah, but that's not for billions of years so you don't need to worry about it. And I was like, but that's not the point. <laughs> <laughs> You know, oddly enough, right? Like, so I, I've said this in a vlog before. Like, I've gotten, I got into space when I was very young watching, uh, the next generation at no point did the kind of like the vastness and the kind of the uncompromising compromising uh, nature of the universe is like bother me at all which is really odd but i guess if you're watching something like star trek where they have relatively human and friendly aliens all over the place and faster than light travel then the huge scale and vast uncompromising nature of the universe isn't really an issue so the next generation was my gateway into liking space, if you know what I mean. So oh, like, okay, yeah. Yeah, so like you, I went on after watching the next generation to read loads of space books. And yeah, at no point did I go, oh, this is not good at all. I was just kind of like, cool. I still get that sometimes. Really? Yeah, I still, like sometimes I'll just be there and I'll be, you know, working or watching TV or whatever. And then I'll go... Man, the nearest star, like the the nearest system from Mars, is four light years away. Like the interstellar void is huge and terrifying. <laughs> yeah, it, see, I, objectively, I know this, but yeah, it just doesn't. I don't know. It just doesn't register. I just, I just think it's all cool. I just think it's all fascinating, amazing stuff. You know? Oh, it is cool. It is fascinating and amazing stuff, but it is also incomprehensible and scary. Do you know what I did a few days ago, Bill? I don't. Um, just on the subject of the nearest star being, what was it, four something light years away? Um, yeah. I found a, a nice little uh, document that has the details um, for the all the stars in a 21 light year radius from here. Oh, wow. Yeah, which isn't all that much, actually. So what I did was I used the equations I've been using in my videos to calculate and verify every stat of <laughs> all stars. It took hours like hours how many stars are in a 21 light year radius of ours in a 21 light year radius uh we have 126 stars wow Uh, yeah 118 of which are on the main sequence eight white dwarfs 31 brown dwarfs and 32 planets in 12 systems 32 planets discovered or do they have a pretty good idea that that's that's all of them Oh, I don't know. And actually, I'm just going to check here. No, this was updated in 2014. That's, I'd say we probably have a fair idea that that's, that's them. Um, okay. Yeah. So it's kind of shocking, isn't that's it? 21. Few. Yeah, 21 light years. And um, 
just just that little stars. And also, what's really shocking, well, not really shocking, I knew this, but it's, 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 it's mad to see it in, like, raw data in front of you. The vast, vast majority are way smaller than the sun. Really? Yeah. So, you know the way, the, like, uh, the thing you learn in school is that our sun is a typical star. Like, this is not true. Our sun is an atypical star. Like, nearly every star out there is less massive than our sun. Huh. And I found none, none in that 21 light year radius, much more massive than our sun. You know? Really? Yeah, no big massive powerhouses and things like that. Um, wow. But it's still, again, when you're looking at the data and you're like, God, everything is so tiny and there's so little stuff out there, you know? Yeah, that's terrifying. <laughs> and terrifying. <laughs> the universe is mostly empty. Something from uh, episode two, and this doesn't actually really refer, or it's not a kind of a production note or a criticism at all. It's just an interesting point. And it brings us back to a little bit of what we discussed in the previous episode. The second episode is all about brown dwarfs. Am I correct? It, it, I think so. God, I can't remember. It is something like that, yeah. Yeah. And so I put it on, and for whatever reason, I had to pause it right at the start, maybe to let, let the video buffer or someone was talking to me or something. And... It just caught my eye that dwarfs was spelt D-W-A-R-F-S. Okay. As opposed to D-W-A-R-V-E-S. As opposed to, like, Gimli the Dwarf. As opposed to Gimli the Dwarf. The way that you spelt it in the video, uh, that is, you know, referring to brown dwarfs, the stars, is actually the... I mean, I don't want to be too kind of linguistically prescriptive here, but it's the let's say, correct way to pluralize the word dwarf. Um, yeah. And so when you're talking about, like, medical dwarfism or brown dwarves or whatever, that is the right word. And dwarves, with a V, is the one that seems more natural and more correct to me because of Tolkien. And we were talking last week, is, you know, is Tolkien the, the world builder that has the most influence? And I think that's a really strong point in favor of saying yes, because spelling dwarfs the more normal way seems weird to me because I'm so used to fantasy literature, which is broadly derived from Tolkien. From Tolkien, yeah. And his background as a linguist led him to kind of recreate this kind of new etymology for the word so that he would pluralize it with a V-E-S instead of just an F-S. So I just think that's just an interesting little point. Yeah, on, definitely. On the influence that he has had as a world builder and how it's kind of seeped into certainly my consciousness. And I think that there would be a lot of other people who would tend to pluralize dwarf with a V, even if not talking about fantasy dwarves. Yeah, this is true. And like very often I find myself just checking, like spell checking that because I'm always very unsure which way is which, <laughs> you know? Yeah. It's yeah, it's very very odd, and it's amazing how one man can one man's work can seep into the collective consciousness consciousness like that, you know. Definitely. So this isn't really a note about any specific video, or it's not even a criticism or anything. It's just a, a sort of a point of thought. It's certainly from the first four videos and the general overall tone of Artifexian, you seem to be pretty much only concerned with creating systems where life could arise naturally. So you want to have a star that could support life for long enough that it would be able to evolve into sapience and, um, you know, that you would be able to have a habitable planet of the right composition in the Goldilocks zone and all that kind of thing. Which is good and which is important. But it's a little bit limiting from a certain point of view. Okay. Do you reckon in future videos you could cover topics for settings where someone has discovered a system and a system has been colonized. So it would need to meet certain requirements, but it wouldn't need to necessarily, you know, have a million years of main sequence life to support the correct kind of evolution or whatever. Because especially if we're dealing with science fiction, then, you know, it doesn't really matter if it's going to go supernova in 2000 years and then life will never be able to evolve because maybe someone just rolled up there last week and they're mining the system, you know, for the next hundred years. Uh, the more I do artifexian, the more I realize I need to address these things. Okay. Like, for example, um, the the first block of videos, the, the sun block, or the stars block, should I say, um, is four videos long, 
right? Yeah. And then uh, in contrast, the latest block, which is the planet's block, I think must be at seven or eight now. So I'm okay. trying, like in recent times, I've been trying to cover kind of like every eventuality. Yeah. Which I think is really important. And I think that's, for me, when I listen back to these videos, I think that's the major flaw with them, that they are so, like, just involved with, like, naturally evolving life and naturally evolving human life. Yeah, naturally evolving carbon-based humanoid life. Exactly. Um, so at some stage, possibly after I finish the planet block of videos, I will remake the How to Build a Star video. Yeah, listeners, there will be an updated star build video uh, where you can build massive stars, sun-like stars, and low-mass stars. All right, so the hypothetical stars game, right? So what uh, what we're going to do is we're going to try and do a bit of like stellar guessing here based on a really interesting Wikipedia page called Hypothetical Stars, mm-hmm. uh, which I will throw in the show notes if people want to play along with us. So, uh, Bill, I'll start you off. How about a blue dwarf? What springs to mind when I say blue dwarf? So dwarfs are either kind of failed protostars, right? You know, the, the ones that had between 10 Jupiter masses and kind of one-tenth of a sun's mass, something like that. Okay, um, so brown dwarfs. That's brown dwarfs, right? That's brown dwarfs, yeah. White, white dwarfs are after red giants, so... But I don't know what a blue dwarf could be. Is it like, is it a white dwarf that's a bit hotter than, than most white dwarfs? No. What okay. it is. And I remember actually, this one I actually do know off the top of my head. That's why I picked it. Because it came up in research for the videos. It's, um, so you know a red dwarf star? Like the really, the, like the lowest mass star. That's actually like getting fusion. Yeah, that's the undergoing nuclear fusion. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. They're called red dwarfs. And uh, if they they last for many, many, many trillions of years. Um, okay. So they potentially will live longer than the universe has existed to date. Right. Um, so what people theorize is that uh, when the universe is very, very old, these red dwarfs will have cooled to, uh, to be blue dwarfs. Ah, cool. Okay. How about a black dwarf? A black dwarf. Okay. Uh, it's a white dwarf. Okay. Okay. Th- that has cooled down over many, 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 like millions or billions of years. Okay. Um, is that, is that, is that correct? Check that. So remind me what a white dwarf is then. A white dwarf is like the, the final of a, the final form of a main sequence star, right? Yeah, a low a low mass main sequence star. Like really, really, really high mass stars will uh will end up in a black will end up as a black hole. Yeah. And stars like our sun will end up as like white dwarfs. Okay. So what it says for a black dwarf is the final state for a star, like the sun, that is too small to become either a black hole or a neutron star. It would take a star like our sun, roughly a quadrillion years to reach this state. So yeah, I guess it is a white dwarf, but like like millions of times older than a white dwarf. And again, that's a really cool, like maybe a sci-fi setting set in a very ancient uh, universe, you know? Mm. Cool. Definitely. Right. Uh, Definitely. Let's see. Let's see. Let's see. Let's see. Let's um, see. A dark star, Bill. A dark star? A dark star. Not words you think would go together. Be a good name for an album, though. Yeah, it's dangerously close <laughs> to a terrible Mammostine song, though. What's that? Black Star by Ingwe Mammostine. I don't know it off the top of my head, but I, I probably hate it. Oh, God, Wait, it's is awful. That, is that off his first album? I, I You know That's what, man? I don't care. That's a great song. I remember it now. What do you want about? That's a great song. No, it's not. It's all... all it, everything Mammostine does is terrible. No, it's not. He's He's a... A lot of what he does is terrible. <laughs> <laughs> On that, uh, Mammostine is a, um, a like a very technically gifted guitarist. He's just uh, his music lacks subtlety, I think. Well, yeah, that's true. And he's he's a he's a bit big headed and arrogant. And he fancies himself as being a sort of a reincarnation of Paganini and great nineteenth century virtuosic composers. 
when he isn't and he can't orchestrate worth a damn. Yeah, so he has, there's a thing on YouTube where he is playing his guitar concerto with, uh, with a Japanese orchestra, I think. And oh my God, is it terrible. It's awful. It is, it is very, very bad. But okay, anyhow. Dark anyhow, Star. A Dark Star. Okay, it's... Is it some kind of protostar? So it's got star-like qualities, but it hasn't reached enough mass to actually um, begin fusion. That's my guess. But then that would be a uh, brown dwarf. But like bigger than a brown dwarf, but not actually started fusion yet. Okay, no. Okay. No is the answer. This is actually a really interesting one. Um, so what it says here is it's a theoretical construct based on Newtonian gravity of which is, uh, of a star with gravity so strong that even light cannot escape. Huh. Which is, which just to clarify here, this is not what happens because at this sort of like level, Newtonian gravity breaks down. Yeah, yeah, yeah Newtonian gravity doesn't actually apply because it's, it's just not quite right. It's not, it's not quite right enough. Yeah. yeah, so if you were to take okay. Newtonian gravity like and take it very, very literally, you'd end up with like these dark stars, which is just kind of cool. On that, uh, what you call it? Do you, uh, do you ever hear of the planet Vulcan? The planet Vulcan? The planet Vulcan. Now, I'm talking the real-life planet Vulcan. No, no never. So, so what happened was, uh, this is just uh, leading on Newtonian gravity. What you call it? Mercury, right? Mercury has a kind of a strange orbit. Okay. And and to explain this, back when people only had Newtonian gravity, they had to invent a planet uh, inside Mercury's orbit that, like, uh, perturbed it. So it made this sort of, like, bizarre kind of orbit. And the planet they invented was Vulcan. I'd heard of the problem of, the, of Mercury's orbit, but I never knew that was a proposed solution. Interesting. Yeah, and people spent ages trying to find it and things like that. It was cool. Really cool. And eventually, of course, it was, like, general relativity that, that figured it out, wasn't it? Yeah, we don't need to have a planet inside Mercury's orbit. Mercury's just fine the way it is. Okay, here's a here's a hypothetical star for you, Edgar. Okay. This one because it's a cute name. Fuzzball. A fuzz... Oh, Christ. Okay, a fuzzball. Oh, okay. Fuzz. What does fuzz imply? Okay, um... Oh, it's got. Uh, I, you know what? From the name, I'm, I'm going to assume it's something to do with like, like string theory or something like that. Some because string theorists seem to have all these crazy names. Oh, I I don't know. I don't know. Is there something to do with string theory? Ding ding ding! Correct. Is it? Oh, cool. What is it? Okay, so it says on the Wikipedia page, just for a hypothetical star, a formulation of black holes in string theory. If we look at the the actual link, it's uh, theorized by some superstring theory scientists to be the true quantum description of black holes, and it resolves two intractable problems that classical black holes pose for modern physics. Um, huh. Which I'm not going to get into. Um, yeah, that's going to be a bit in depth. That's a bit in depth, and I don't understand. So yeah. I I don't uh, get string theory at all. To be fair. Well, in fairness, like, you don't have a master's in physics, so. No, I don't think anyone's expecting you to. Okay, a now I'm gonna I'm gonna mispronounce this because it's got a it's got a strange name. Uh, but m- my best shot is a thorn zitkow object. Oh, Edgar, come on! There's no way I can guess that from the name. It was in the news. When was it in the news? It, recently. Throw me a bone here. What? Throw me a bone. Um... <laughs> very no, very very recently. It was a big kind of like a uh, discovery they made. It's no longer hypothetical. Oh. Mm. Okay, so if it's a recent discovery, I'm going to guess that it's something very far away, kind of on the edges of the universe. So something that's been observed from, like, quite early in the universe's history. So I'm going to say it's some kind of star that can only happen, you know, quite close to the Big Bang. No. Unfortunately. Terrible at this game. That was a good (laughs) guess, though. It was a good, you know what, that is a very good guess, uh, and that is a very hard, very hard name to uh, kind of logic out. No, what it is, is it's a uh, red giant star okay. that has swallowed a neutron star, and the neutron star cool. then sits at its core. So like a red giant has pulled a neutron star, like gravitationally, it's pulled it into itself. Yep, as far as I or know, it's, yeah, it's, it's devoured a neutron star. 
Wow. I know. Isn't it mental? And the, the example they give is you uh, Aquari, uh, as that's the name of the star that has done this. Huh. Okay. I'm going to be nice and give you an easier one now. Okay, go for it. <laughs> what is a boson star? Oh, that's simple. That's a star made out of bosons. Made out of, like, bizarre, like, um, like subatomic particles. Mm, no. No, I don't know if subatomic particles is really a fair description, Edgar. Oh, okay. You're going to be really mean now. What? What's the description? Well, a boson is a... It's a force... It carries force and, rather than being matter. Like a photon isn't matter, but it carries electromagnetic force. And a gluon is like the... The strong nuclear force, I think? They're bosons. Okay, well, what's the description they give on the page? A star and astronomical object made of bosons, such as photons or gluons, rather than conventional matter. I totally said it was made out of bosons, man. Yeah, but you said they were subatomic particles, is where I'm pulling you up. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah, no, this is... Yeah, fair enough. Pull me up on that one. I Again, yeah. I'm not that familiar with the whole subatomic world. I deal in stars and planets, man. <laughs> uh, okay. Give me another. Iron star. Is that a period between, like, before supernova? So when the the star is largely composed of iron, but, it, like, it hasn't actually exploded and, and created the heavier things yet. So it'd be, like, a kind of a, short, a short-lived state. You're, you're kind of right. The thing I'll pull you up on here is that, like, like, a conventional star will never be, like, almost entirely composed of iron. Okay. Even just before it goes supernova, it still will have, like, other layers around it. Think again. Think think even simpler. You're outguessing yourself. A star made of iron. Boom! Ding, ding! Ten <laughs> points! <laughs> so, <laughs> I hear. <laughs> so they're, they're, uh, they theorize here that um, it'll be the final fate of a star in the very, very, very distant future where all matter has been transmuted to iron uh, via a process called quantum tunneling. Okay, I'm looking at it now. 10 to the 1500 years in the future. Yeah, it's definitely not tomorrow-like. That must be... That is a long time away. Okay, what is a grey hole? Okay, so... A grey hole. Uh, I'm going to assume it's some sort of, like, weird take on a black hole. Um... Okay, so a black hole, like, no light can escape a black hole because of its gravitational pull. Perhaps a grey hole. Grey maybe implies that there's more, like, colour there, so maybe there's more light. Maybe it's a black hole where some light can somehow escape. I don't know. Is that right? Um, You're in the right kind of ballpark. It's a conjecture type of neutron star where most light does not escape the star. Okay. Oh, oh, I didn't so I know guess, that at all. I guess it's kind of on the way to being like it's it's not quite massive enough to be a black hole. Yeah, yeah, because things that aren't massive enough to go black hole will end up as a neutron star. Okay. Uh, how about Bill, a frozen star? A frozen star. Yeah. Um. So it's gonna be it's gonna be cold. It is, uh, or at least relatively cold. Or alternatively, it could be a star made by Disney. I was trying to avoid that joke. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I really think you should just let it go, Edgar. Oh, that's poor. (laughs) Okay, so... I'm going to go with another kind of similar similar one and say... uh, it's an old star that, that has cooled down in some form. Uh, it's, uh, I, it's obviously not a complete answer, but that's kind of my a partial answer. Yeah, you're you're predominantly right. Uh, it is a, a star. It's a low mass star um, that is 273 Kelvin. So, okay. So that's about that's about zero degrees Celsius, and I don't know what yeah. that is in Fahrenheit at all. Um, and uh, it's conjectured to form in the far future where the met- metallicity of the interstellar medium is several times the current one. Metallicity being the amount of available metal. Yeah, but this is the astronomical sort of metal, and that's anything that isn't hydrogen and helium. Oh, okay. Yeah, so it doesn't necessarily mean, like, metal metal, you know? Okay. Just uh, just heavier atoms. 
So okay. yeah, just a really cold star. And apparently this thing can happen when the universe is very old. Huh. Yeah, I know, right? The Nature is weird, man. Okay. Let's make this the last one. Cool, I'm let's do it. I ask you what I think is a pretty nice one. Um, I actually, I actually knew this one already. What is a population three star? Oh, I was really hoping you wouldn't ask me that. Because <laughs> I, Why? I always get like, okay, so uh, for the listeners, there are two, possibly three types of populations of stars. Pop one, pop two, and then this like kind of mildly hypothetical pop three. I always get them confused as to which order they are. So... I'm going to say that pop population tree stars are. St- I I think they're early universe stars, and I okay. think that would imply then that they have little to no metals. So they're like all hydrogen. I think so. They're very metal poor. Very well done. Ah, oh, sweet, good, great, absolutely perfect. Good, cool, I, very, very cool. I knew that one because it's mentioned in the Science of Discworld. Oh, really? Why? The first science, because it's a book about science. Yeah, I know, but where, where do where does Pop Tree comes? Pop Tree stars come into Discworld. Uh, well, the, the premise of the book is that the Discworld scientists are the Discworld wizards at the Unseen University, um, set up this experiment which is actually our world, and they're observing our world, and it intersperses chapters of, you know, the the wizards looking at this experiment with chapters about, like, pop science, and one of the topics they do is where stars come from. Cool. Very, very cool. So, uh, mm-hmm. so, so Bill, what did you think of uh, our little hypothetical stars game? I think I'm not very good at it. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay, but... I need, I, need to, I need to go into some training. Maybe, uh... Maybe take some illegal steroids. <laughs> we, can, we, can, we can have a rematch in 13 months' time. This is true. This is true.
What biscuit are you eating? I'm having a white chocolate and cranberry cookie from Aldi. Are they are they the best biscuit? No. 